We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Here with myself, my co-host, Nick Turchin. Before we get into today, what is going to be a detailed, long show, hopefully we'll try to condense it a little bit. We've got a lot to talk about with what we saw on the All-22 from the Giants for Saints. We've got a lot to talk about with our preview of the Panthers and what it's, I don't want to call must-win game, but it's damn close to it for the New York Giants in the 2018 football season. But first, I do want to get rid of some of the housekeeping uh, I know I've said it before, but if you guys do enjoy the show and you do enjoy this analysis, in addition to following us on Twitter, and I know we'll throw out our handles at the end of the show, more importantly, guys, please, please, please do us a favor. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes for the Big Blue Banter podcast. Download each episode. Give us a review if you want to, but most importantly, hit that subscribe button. Tell your friends to do the same if they do listen to the show. That makes a big difference for us, and it will get our podcast in front of more ears and bring it to bigger and better things. But... On that note, I do want to throw it over to Nick. Nick, how are you doing today? Feeling uh, feeling good. Uh, tough loss. Not a great game. I think everyone wanted better. Um, a lot of offensive issues. Psyched to get into it all and uh, kind of ready for some improvement this week. Yeah, I mean, on that note, I think we should start this off with pretty much, like I said, how we started off every single podcast. And that's just, that's just uh, you know, an, an homage. I guess it's a, I'm trying to look for the right word here. I guess it just kind of plays into what the fans want right now, or at least what it seems like the fans are talking about a lot on Giants Twitter. You know, there's a lot of narratives that get spun, in my opinion, a little bit out of control. Some some back, some not back. But, you know, in general, everybody wants to talk about Eli Manning after every single Giants game at this point in his career. Um, until the Giants offense starts scoring points, I don't blame them. I understand it. He's the quarterback. So we're going we're gonna to do that today. We're going to start with Eli Manning for, for you, Nick. Uh, because I think that, you know, you, you did a lot of work on him, and so did I. So we both got a lot to say here. But I'm going to throw it to you first. You're, you're definitely a little more – I'll say a little more uh, 
have more of a critique on him than I did for this game. And trust me, I didn't think he played a good game. So we'll, I'll get into that. But Nick, let's start with you here. Yeah, I think you know you had a you had a overall you had a lot of examples um, this this week, and I detailed this in a piece that for cover one. I was up till like four in the morning on, on Monday night with 1600 words. It was way too much. Didn't really want to go that deep into it. Uh, but I picked a few plays and picked a few other plays and put on Twitter. You know, overall, I think it goes back to, um, uh, for, from my interpretation of it, is, is it goes back to his processing issues and what he's seeing and what he's willing to throw. And when I say willing to throw, it means meaning he's either speeding through his reads too quickly or not basically attacking the defense with how the plays are designed uh, at their, at the defense's weaknesses, which is basically what, um, which is basically how most of Pat Shermer's drop back passing offense is set up. And I wrote in my piece, I used uh, Jocko Willink and his, uh, his video good that he has on YouTube where basically his, in, his, in, Jocko's interpretation is anything that really happens to you, you can spin in a certain way. And this is, it wasn't really a, a, a move to pump up any fans or anything or try to get people to not be so depressed about the offense. The bigger thing was just whatever the defense gives to Manning, he's going to have an answer uh, for the most part. It's like he, almost every, almost all variables are accounted for on both sides of the read in their drop back passing and just didn't see that it didn't see that uh, executed. And I really think that, you know, coming down the stretch, it, it, it wasn't just to a few plays. It was across the course of the game. It was to cover two. It was to cover three. Uh, you know, uh, it was different looks where he has the tools that he has the answers that he needs. The protection was there, and it was there. Were, there were the follow up just simply wasn't. And you're looking at about six to eight plays, uh, at least um, I would say that are that are clear. And again, is this to, just a plain purely Manning? I think you can get into a little bit of play calling and what he's comfortable with because clearly. And this is where I want to hear Dan's side of it. I don't think he's comfortable in a lot of these things. I don't think that has to do with his lack of manhood or his lack of competitive toughness. I think this guy wants to be here and I think he really wants to win. Um, I just, I'm not seeing it translate uh, into his processing. Yeah, and I'm not going to sit here and defend him. I also thought he had a bad game and I, I had similar issues to you. There were a lot of chances I think he should have taken cover too. What I'm wondering about though, and this is something that me and you really won't have a good grasp on and it's going to be tough for us to know is how much of this is offensive philosophy and how much of this Eli Manning um you know I don't know if Shermer's if both him and Shermer have you know decided between them or you know everyone involved in this situation has decided between them that they want to be a, a high completion percentage offense that doesn't make as many mistakes as they've made in the past and take as many shots um and I, I'll say this while I do agree with everything you said and I think there were a lot more examples than there were even in the Dallas game um, now there were more open receivers, I thought running free in the Dallas game. I mean, there was only, you know, to me more, this was Manning just not taking shots against the zone defense than it was in the Dallas. He, I thought he was just missing a lot of open receivers by not getting to that read. Um, so for, on that, sir, on, you know, on that note, I have more of an issue in that one for that, but I will say this, I don't know if that's part playing into this, the philosophy there to not turn the ball over. Um, and I do think that, you know, while there were a lot of instances, we got to keep in mind that, you know, three of nine of these drives were stopped by a Gallman fumble and then two penalties that got them in the first and 20. And I've said this every week and I'll say it again. This is not an offense that can afford to go into first and 20 because this offense on third and long. And that, while they did complete one of these, I believe this game, they, they've been pretty bad on it before this. It's just not a good, it's not set up really with a quarterback like Eli who, doesn't move as well in, in you know out of the pocket and inside the pocket on third third and longs and an offensive line that quite frankly 
It's not really designed to block on these third and long situations. You need a really, really good offensive line for that. So that was three of the nine drives. They scored on three of the other drives. Um, and then there were three wasted drives. So, you know, there are issues I have for sure. I'm calling it a bad game for sure. I think it was – would you say this was his worst game or Dallas, Nick? Uh, very close. I think this I think this would be his worst only because – put it this way. Uh, let me phrase it this way. When I, when I put the tape on, I expected the secondary to be very deceptive, to have multiple different X, you know, X's and O's that are constantly getting at Manning and, and trying to bait him. And But the bottom line is you pull up these coverages, they're very vanilla and they're run repeatedly. So Shermer adjusted for in the second half and really earlier than that, and you're not seeing the trigger being pulled. So that to me is the biggest red flag really more so than the Dallas game where I think that the Dallas did a lot of things that, that he, that surprised him. I think the man coverage in the Dallas game surprised him. I think the blitzing surprised him. I don't think they're used to that from the front and they're not used to, by the way, I think the Dallas secondary being very tight on the giants too, in terms of separation. So I think those three elements uh, differ between the two games. Sure. And then if you look at it like that, you know, from just like a broad overview, I, I, you know, I'll certainly get worried. I don't want to sound like I'm defending him because I'm definitely not. I mean, now we're talking about two or four games where we had some issues with Eli Manning, the quarterback on the New York Giants. It's a very, like we said at the top, there's a very important position. So two of the four games, we have some issues, you know, and overall, I think he struggled throughout the past, I don't know, two and a half seasons with his own coverage, with cover two coverage. Not the first time we're talking about him. Uh, you know, not being able to, to beat these. But, you know, I, I want to throw it a little bit, at least to the play calling, because after the game, I just want to see where we stand on this. Because after the game, Pat Shermer, Giants head coach, said, I, I, I should have ran Saquon Barkley more. I mean, we're talking about a game that was 12-7 and a half. The Giants were only down five points because the, the red zone defense, which we'll get to, was unbelievable. Um, they're down five points at halftime. They were never down more than two scores. Uh, there were back rate, There was a back-breaking drive, which we'll get to later, where – there was an offensive pass interference picked up on the Saints on third and nine that would have changed the game. Uh, but, you know, this was a close game. My point is this was a close game. And, and Jermer said after, I wish I ran Barkley more. You know, Barkley had 10 rushing attempts on the game. So my question to you is this. When these defenses are playing soft zone, Barkley said the best way for the Giants to beat this is just by running the football at them. My question to you is in the first drive, I saw an excellent mix of 11 personnel, of 21 personnel with, with, with Penny on the field, and of 20, and of 20, uh, I'm sorry, 12 personnel with both Simonson and Ellis on the field, the two tight ends. After that, I didn't see that mix anymore. I didn't see that mix for the rest of the game. I saw almost exclusively 11 personnel. So, you know, is my, my question is this, Nick. Does, is part of the blame belong to one, Pat Shermer, for not running the football more? And I know it's blasphemy in the, in the football community. <laughs> football community, you're not allowed to run the football, you know? You're not allowed to come out and have your personnel. It's stupid to run the football. But I'm not so sure when teams are playing such a soft zone if that's the case. So my one question for you is that. Did they not run the football much against a soft zone? And then my second question to you is, you know, is it some of the blame on Shermer for getting away from the 12 and 21 personnel and mixing up the personnel like he did on that first drive? He really did it. I'm looking through my notes. He mixed his personnel a lot in that first drive. Is the blame on him for that? I mean, wh- where do we stand on that right now? They're very uh... – very good observations um, on the first drive. It's just because it's something I haven't talked about on Twitter yet. Um, West Coast offenses, and people are going to kill me for that, to coaches that come from the from West Coast traditions uh, love to script their first 10 to 15 plays. Some play, some coaches get as high as like 20. Uh, so what Dan's actually highlighting here hits on the point that, that Sherber's opening scripts seem to be very, very deliberate, very specific, and for the most part, in the last couple of games, pretty successful. 
after that, you're seeing the script get away from the personnel package mixing for whatever reason. If, if you know, some of this can be game situations where if the team gets down, obviously that's going to make their uh, personnel, that's going to change the way they're, they're looking. So part of it is that, but he doesn't, he can't escape um, uh, another aspect here, which is, you know, this was a close game, just as Dan says, and he goes away from it. So what are the issues with running only one personnel package? In my opinion, it's okay if you vary a lot of other variables very highly to basically give different looks for the defense. So Dan brings up the running game, which I think is very interesting because I don't think they maybe didn't run the ball as much as they wanted to for whatever reason. But when they did, I saw them running it out of 11 personnel a lot where I think they saw better success there over now when I say better success. I don't think it translated necessarily into all but a few runs. But I think that's the direction they want to go into versus running out of heavier 12 personnel sets or even 22. They ran that once actually to start the second quarter. I don't see that as 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 successful as running out of 11 personnel. And why? Because Barkley does well in space. The whole goal for Barkley, I think, is not number of rushing attempts that he gets. I don't think if he gets to 20 rushing attempts, they win this game, the next game. I think it's getting him in space via the run of the pass and however that works the best and it's getting better in inside zone and it's best at inside zone out of 11 personnel. Now to get back to what the, you know, how, how does the play calling overall Nick's look in terms of run and pass? I think he, I think, I think he wanted to run the ball more, but I would be okay if he got Barkley the ball, if he got Barkley seven, eight touches or seven, eight targets in the, in the passing game. To me, that's, virtually the same. And that's kind of the way the Saints have handled Kamara. And that's a little bit of the way that Shermer handled handled Dalvin Cook when he was healthy last year. I understand where you're coming from right there, Nick, because I also agree that in general, it is better to run out of 11 personnel for a multitude of reasons that you just went over. But I did see a successful run out of the jumbo package at one point, and they're actually using now Spencer Pulley, uh, not Eric Flowers on the jumbo package. What a what does that say about Eric Flowers getting in on jumbo package? Think about that. And this guy is, you know, six foot five, 330 physical specimen should be excellent in the run game was excellent in the run game. during his rookie season. That just goes to show me this guy, you know, doesn't belong on any NFL roster. He just doesn't have the mindset for it. Um, but anyway, they had some success there. They only did it once. Uh, it was a five yard gain. But my point is I get it. You want to run LM personnel, but Barkley did get eight targets in the past game. A lot of it came when they, finally went into hurry up mode and right it's just you know dumps underneath which i don't hate personally all of them work i don't hate really any of them i think eli needs to get the ball quicker on some of them personally but my point is i also think that he should be getting more so he so he finishes the game with i guess 18 touches if you want to call them eight targets 10 carries six receptions of the eight so 16 total t- actual touches I think that number should be in the 25 to 30 range every game. I think this offense should be very similar to how the Steelers have kind of maneuvered their offense around Brown and Bell. And you don't have to stick with that. I know Pat Schirmer said that after the Houston game, the best games are the ones we win when we get the ball to nine different players. You don't have to stick with that, but you have to at least commit the defense to believing that that's where the game's going to go through, in my opinion, at least, because that's just going to change how they're going to play you. And and my, my question for you is this, Nick. Is it as easy as Barkley kind of makes it out to be against soft zone defenses to run the football? Or do you believe that really there has to be more a more consistency up front from the blocking? And so that's it. And that, thanks for coming back to that because I know that was the back half of the question uh, when, when you posed it. I knew there was, there was more to it where I wanted to go. Uh, I think Barkley is an absolute leader. I think everything about him that he's ever – how he handles himself in the media is like as good as you can get. And I think it, this is a great example. I don't think it's that simple. 
And but I love him being willing as a guy who was in his fourth game to basically say like, no, I want this on me and I'll take whatever it is on me. Be like, let's go. That's the, I think that's, that's a hundred percent what you want. When you have a cover two zone, um, what you have is you have, whether it's cover two or Tampa two, let's just call it cover two for simplicity's sake here. You have five zone defenders in the, in the second tier, basically stretched across the field. So yes, there's going to be room on some level initially, but second tier, you're going to have, five guys looking down, looking at the quarterback or you as you go through, as you go through your run. So how basically, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers made a living off of this defense was having quick twitch defensive backs that were willing to step up in the run game and aggressive on their run fits. It's so it's not necessarily like all they had to do was run the ball and that was going to be it. I think you have to attack that cover two defense. I understand that where its weaknesses are and where its strengths are specifically for the running game. I think it's one where you have to use a little bit more misdirection um, and a little and a good mix of inside and outside running to really attack it. And you know, I'm not going to say it's as simplistic as just running outside zone pin pull concepts, which the Giants have not run at all. And when I say pin pull, meaning where the split zone or the tight end it blocks down on the edge rush edge defender and the and everyone and the uh, the tackle on that side pulls out into the alley. You haven't seen that at all. You haven't seen the you haven't seen Barkley get successfully get the perimeter consistently. And I think that mixed with inside zone is the best way to kind of get into uh, any any def, any coverage defense behind uh, their their front four. Yeah, I think I would. Agree. I think I mean that that's really sums it up there. Uh, as far as you know, it's not as easy as Barkley makes it seem. But but let's transition a little bit because we did harp on that a lot. I wanted to get into a little bit of the empty sets the Giants have been using for the first time. Really, I mean they used a little bit under McAdoo, but under Shermer they've been using it a lot. It had a, it had a lot of success for them the first few weeks of the season. Didn't have as much success against the Saints. You know what? You know what? What do you think was the issue there? What happened then? What happened now? I think last game, last game you had just very good execution across the board. I'm looking at a few of the empty set um, scenarios. One of the problems with empty, a lot of teams check automatically to blitzes uh, to a five man rush. And to you saw that in this game, right? And to ensure a five, five on five, uh, to ensure five on five um, pass rusher, pass blocker on pass rusher. Uh, again, because if you don't have anyone else in the backfield and if the tight ends, at least in a, in a wing position, it's really going to be five on five no matter what. So what that means is that you're basically relying on the quick game to win. And I'm looking at one example here and you see it was an example where John Greco got smoked by Demario Davis on the pass rush and his play strength just was not where it needed to be. And it was just it quickly led to a breakdown. Uh, so I think I think it was a little specific to this game and a little specific to the interior pressure that they were able to get. Um, that were to that 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 were a couple guys where Greco's called out and he hasn't been a traditional you know issue on the on the on the on the uh, on the line in terms of pass pro so that was kind of like a, a new thing and just overall lack of execution compar- comparatively to other plays the other one I'm remembering too that was an empty set was in the red zone I believe where they threw or Manning throws this similar fade to Barkley that was so successful in week three. Um, out of empty where Barkley's the X or Z wide receiver, the wide wide receiver on the field and Manning there instead of versus man, I'm believing that was cover four. That was quarters coverage. And it was just a, not a great read and a tough play to throw a, an end zone fade to the end. It should really be a back shoulder throw uh, and a tough one to make it that against the quarters coverage and leverage and, and on that side of the field. So just lack of execution to lack of kind of, you know, the, getting the right play at the right time uh, in terms of the differences between those two weeks. Yeah. 
And that's something, you know, they'll have to look at as well moving forward. But I do want to transition a little bit because we're harping on this a lot. Just a quick note. Again, I said it last week. I'll say it again. If the Giants are going to keep making or, you know, going to keep having penalties on these design screen passes, which they've had now every week, I think, at least one penalty, they have to figure, you know, they have to stop running them until they can figure out how to block these without getting called for penalties because it's killing them. I mean, there were two of the nine drives. only had nine possessions this game. That's not a lot. Three of them they scored, like I said. Two of these were ruined once they got into first and 20. They just can't keep doing this to themselves. They have to, I mean, they have to figure that out or they can't run those plays, in my opinion. And one thing I wanted to talk about, Nick, before I dove into um, a couple more things, actually, before we want to get into the defense, I wanted to talk about a drive that I thought really, to me, that this game was best encapsulated, uh, you know, for, at least for me, it was best encapsulated by just two drives that really shifted the momentum, two really bad drives for the Giants, one on offense, one on defense. Um, the first one for me is on offense because we're going to talk about the defense later. It was right after um, the Saints uh, came down and scored to, to make the game 7-6. to six. So it was their second drive where they scored a field goal. So now we're talking about 7-18. Giants get the ball back in the second quarter with a chance to do things. They have to do something. 7-6. Such a big momentum play if they have a four or five minute drive here even if it ends in a field goal you're at 10-6 really gives a a chance to get to the halftime up 10-6 so first and 10 this is the worst play of the game in my opinion for Eli Manning it's the play action pass uh to to uh to Odell Beckham Jr this is one of the worst throws I've seen from Manning in the last three years five years however one of the worst throws I've ever seen from Manning and my issue here is that you know what's going on in this throw because he has such a balanced base he's making the throw from such a clean pocket is the timing just off with Beckham because I, I've seen this really throughout the first four weeks I've seen a couple things and I haven't wanted to bring this up because it's not there yet for me to make this call but I haven't totally seen the second that classic second Odell Beckham Jr. gear so far from him and he's caught passes in the flat at least underneath you know there was a couple there's been a couple of plays over the past few weeks where I think he houses them he just finds a way even though it doesn't look like he has the angle with the safety and I know we'll, we'll say it you know Nick you might say it after I say this, there's no angle. Look at it. The safety's there. But old Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't need an angle. He was making plays, beating safety to the edge without the angle. So, I'll tell you know, we can talk about that more another time, but if it keeps showing up, because there's still not enough evidence of that. But my point is here, their, their chemistry is clearly off. And this throw was way over his head, and it was just not timed right at all. Um, and then you get into second and ten, and I think this play is one of the worst plays of the game as well for the Giants, because Eli Manning has to check out here. He has to check out of a run to a pass. Now, like we talked about before, I said they should run the football more, but you got to be smart with it. It's second and 10. There's six blockers in the box versus at least seven defenders in the box with an eighth kind of playing near the line of scrimmage at the slot receiver. This is just not a, a, a situation where you should run the football, and it was completely stopped for a, a gain of just two. So now they're in third and eight again, and they have – Saints rush four, and the Giants have six in protection. This was happening far too often to me against the Saints. I mean, uh, in this game against the Saints, where they were just rushing four guys and getting there. And Eli goes to Shepard here, Russell Shepard, on the go route down the left sideline, because that's literally all the Saints give them, in my opinion. I don't think there was any chance to get this ball out to Odell Beckham or Sterling Shepard. They're running two deeper routes against four defensive backs, Saints defensive backs and coverage. The Saints were literally just rushing four and still playing just one-on-one coverage on the on the boundary with Marshawn Latimer against Russell Shepard, and he just doesn't win this route. This ball is actually not a bad ball. If he wins this route and gets over the top of this route, you can tell me if I'm wrong. It's a catch, and do you agree with that? If he that this one's on the receiver, 
Uh, I would say there was on that one. Um, he he doesn't get separation for any part of that at all. And, uh, yeah, and, I don't think the ball should be thrown. To be fair, what well, I don't go when you look at when you look at this route. Yeah, you tell me, there, I looked at this multiple times because I saw people complaining about this route for Eli Manning. I don't know where else this ball is going to be. There's four Saints defenders against Shepard and, and Beckham. So where's this ball going to be? See, and that's the thing, and you touch on what I brought up in my piece on Cody Latimer, and this is where you miss Latimer massively. So what, this is a three-by-one set that Dan's talking about. So three receivers on the right side, one on the left. And Manning um, has a post-wheel combination on the right side of the field. And they're basically playing a quarter's coverage. Well, they're playing a quarter's coverage, except the deep uh, middle safety that's playing on the offense's left side basically completely abandons <laughs> uh, Shepard. Yeah. So what ends up happening is if you have a three-by-one where your one lone X wide receiver can win in an isolation route, then that changes the game because they're, they may – it's not that they're going to basically – automatically double team him effectively uh, with, with this with safety over the top help, but they're not going to totally disregard him. And that's what was happening here. Because when you look at this tape, like what if the guy runs a slant and he's beaten, there's no one there. There's, there's no one on that side of the right. field. And that's a complete disregard because they know they have their best corner against a wide receiver four. Yeah. And so I, I go into, okay, a couple things, you know, like is, is post post wheel is a cover three beater. Okay, they ran cover four. So Manning's not Manning's reading the right side of the field here. He just doesn't have they don't have the, the personnel for this exact play. And I don't think he should have thrown this ball because he didn't have separation. And not only that, he almost pushes off. The only way he kind of gets the only way Shepard gets separation is he kind of pushes off him off, off the ladder. Where, where do you think the ball should go then? Like to me, I mean we don't want to harp too much on the play. Yeah, yeah. Where's the ball gonna go otherwise? I didn't. I can't recall where the rush capability, the rush uh, part of this checkdown should be. But this one is one that should be checked down, and it should go to the sideline and go. Okay, like now we know that <laughs> Shepard can't get separation against their best corner. We should put, throw someone else in the th- in a, in, on, in isolation uh, that has a better chance of doing that, or throw the combination route on the other side that can better get a second option, or sorry, a third option, I should say to Manning for however he's making his read. So for with all this, when, when Manning chooses a side of the field to throw to, um, oh, now I'm remembering it too. It's Barkley who was running the check down to the left. He runs the swing route and kind of doesn't quit on it, but he, he kind of stands there looking at him. That's where the ball should have went. And whether or not Manning has to buy time and then check it down, it, it, it's I'm not saying it's on him, but I'm saying like, Effectively, either he throws the fade that that is a very low percentage throw, or he makes that the the, the check down to Barkley. It's kind of a, a schematic dead end, yeah. um, and 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 yeah. So it it wasn't a great example, and it was it was not it was not their best foot there for sure. And then so they miss that drive, and then the very next drive is when they go empty on second and five, and Eli just has to get this ball out to Odell Beckham Jr. on the quick hit over the middle. He's out of the slot. He's running a drag over the middle. Eli just doesn't get it out in time. He gets a little confused by this. Blitz, the Saints blitz six guys. It's a sack. It's second and five now, third and 14. And, you know, that's when, you know, Eli misses the chance that you've broken down on Twitter, the the two deep outs against the cover two with Russell Shepard and Odo Beckham Jr. But these are back-to-back drives, in my opinion, that just really killed the momentum of this game. And then you look at it later in the game when they're really behind, they go into the hurry-up offense, and they're moving the football again. 
Uh, my question for you is this, Nick. Is that is th- does this offense – I mean, over his career, Manning's been better in the hurry-up offense. Is this something that, you know, Pat Shermer should really look to use more? And at different times of the game, especially when the Giants are at home, they can control the crowd noise. At different times of the game, not just, you know, to mix things up, mixing up the tempo, not just in the fourth quarter when they need to go to it. Is that something you see or is that kind of – you kind of feel like – the Saints kind of changed up their defense maybe, and that's kind of the reason it worked well in the fourth quarter. The Saints definitely didn't change up their defense, and you bring up you bring up a good point. The other reason why tempo works for quarterbacks is um, if you have a quarterback that's not processing – I keep on using that word – that's not thinking through or seeing the defense correctly or, miss it or, or inaccurate, which, which Manning was all of that in this game, what tempo does is it generally gets them not thinking about that. It gets them reading and reacting acting as a pure athlete in a very quick kind of kind of way and so that's oftentimes when you see in a game when a quarterback's throwing the ball like crap and then the, then the second uh then the end of the, the end of the half comes and he goes to two minute drive and all of a sudden he looks amazing and then he can take that momentum into the third quarter that's what that's that's how that's a, a benefit of tempo and so yeah i, I definitely say that that, that that it could be used correctly or uh, you know when it's applicable in a game like this for sure and it, it puts the defense on kind of notice it, it helped it hurts them with, with substitutions and like I said it does all those things for the quarterback so yeah is that why Manning all of a sudden was a little bit better in in, the, in those drives in the fourth quarter for sure we had that question in the Q&A too that's going to touch on that as well um, you know yeah it, it's something that should be used the downside is if you're not comfortable in your in your offense and if you want to quote unquote and there's a bad word to use but a ball controlling offense if you're a little worried about putting the pressure on your defense i think that's why you don't use it selectively um, but other than that yeah it's it's something that clearly he responds to historically well and and is built by the way they did this in minnesota a fair amount uh, with case Keen, with case Keen. this isn't foreign this isn't like it's going into the foundational principle of pat Shermer's offense for sure and that that's just another thing that bothers me a little bit so far i've definitely been a little underwhelmed by Shermer. just his gen, his general, uh, I guess it's hard to explain. Maybe feel for the game. I just I haven't really been a huge fan of like it's like we talked about going away from the personnel earlier that I didn't think he should have done, and just kind of not feeling out when to use tempo like he did in Minnesota. But hopefully that'll change moving forward. But we've harped far too long on the offense. We didn't even get a chance to talk on the offensive line. I'm just going to get a couple quick points there. You can give very quick ones too if you want. I thought. John Greco is the one who flashed the most to me on tape in a bad way. I thought he regressed big time. I thought he missed a lot of play, both in the run and pass game. I didn't like what I saw. And that was really the only player who really stood out, except for Hernandez, who I thought played an excellent game, easily the best game I saw from him. And then on the last last point I want to make is I did think Wheeler showed a little bit of improvement for sure. Um, and he's just I think he's going to get a little bit better every week almost. So if you want to throw some quick notes before we go to the defense. Uh, no, I think the Wheeler point is right on. I think Wheeler's facing a different – he faced a different challenge in Cam Jordan and a different type of rush. He wasn't blown off the ball in terms of, you know, J, you know comparatively to J.J. Watt's crazy get-off. So he had a little bit of a better matchup there. And, and yeah, he hung up well on the run game. He's a guy – he's a competitor. He doesn't, yeah. doesn't quit. He's not going to – you know, it's one of those things you're going to get a fight on that side of it, whether it's good or bad. You're going to see some ugly plays. But, you know, overall, I think I like where that's going in terms of being – of him shaping to be a capable starter for the existing personnel that they have now. And, and I don't want to say this like I'm down on him, but it, they need to upgrade it. But, yeah, I think you are at this point getting getting better results than you were with Flowers for sure. And then one last final thing, because I know a couple people asked me about this on Twitter. I'm just going to make a quick point. You can correct it if you need to, but I think we should move on. The reason the Giants, some people ask, you know, why weren't the Giants rolling Manning out like they did against the Texans as much to that, you know, to his right, I guess, to his strong side. 
And, you know, th- what Nick pointed out to me, and then I saw it myself when I was looking at tape, is just the different style of play of J.J. Watt at left defensive end and then of Cam Jordan of the Saints. One guy's crashing down Watt and the other guy is, is not. So it makes it a lot more difficult for Manning, who doesn't exactly have the most athleticism. We saw this on the second 15 over route, deep over route that, that or again, I guess that wasn't a deep over route, whatever, whatever that route was, where, you know, it's a play that they used against the Texans and it worked, but Cam Jordan doesn't bite and the Giants have to check down to Odell Beckham Jr. on the play for like a four yard gain on second and 15 off the play action. So, I mean, like, just the difference, it just wasn't, you know, in the cards as much with how the Texans were playing. I don't have as much of an issue with Shermer on that as I did before. I noticed that. Nick, did you have anything else you wanted to add there? Yeah, just real quick. What, what, what Dan's saying is on the on the play action side, when he rolls to his right and they're running a three-level stretch, so there's three receivers coming to the quarterback's right, when they run that bootleg, a lot of people look at that and they see when the quarterback doesn't get touched or it looks like he throws it away quickly, people kind of think like, hey, why doesn't he hold on to the ball longer? Why doesn't he do X, Y, and Z? If the quarterback doesn't have the athleticism, it's not about worried about getting hit. He needs to find a throwing lane. And when you're going against a guy who's six foot four or whatever, uh, I guess he's, I guess Jordan's a little smaller, but a larger size individual, it's very hard to get that throwing lane when he hand, when he has his hands up. So if he doesn't, if Manning doesn't secure that, he knows that his his athleticism can't make it any better effectively. So he, he it's not a give up; it's just a smart play because he understands if if he if he pushes that, it's going to be a deflection and potential disaster. Um, so that's what, that's why the Giants went away from that because Jordan, like, like Dan said, wasn't crashing. So the angle wasn't really there. And again, it's not because of Manning, Manning not wanting to get hit. It's, it's, there's literally no throwing lane. Yep. And we'll transition now to the defense. We've spent far too long on the offense, but I want to start with the most, the, at least what stood out to me most about the defense. And I won't say that actually stood out to me most of it. Better stood out to me most about the defense. And we'll get there, but, cause I love this. Those was his best game so far, but I want to start with the player who stood out most to me and that's Landon Collins who, you know, I'll throw it to you first and then I'll get into it. But I thought this was easily his best game of the season. And I thought this was vintage Landon Collins. What did you see? Yeah, when they had situational defense um, or situational sudden change defense where there was a you know, basically either a turnover or a, or a spot where they had to make a stand in the red zone, um, you know, guys like Landon Collins helped make that stand. And I'm trying to find the drive. They, the one drive, it was, I guess it was the I final know the drive. drive you're talking about. Yeah, it was the final. It, actually, the, at least for me. This is yeah. the time, actually. This was the, I believe, the sixth drive of uh, the sixth possession for the Saints. Either sixth or seventh. I'm looking at it now, and this is the drive that killed the Giants, in my opinion. Yep. I'll break it down real quick, and I'll throw it back to you. It's yep. 12-7 Saints at this point. Um, you know, it's 12-7 with uh, 10:42 remaining in the third quarter. This game is up for grabs. Anyone can have this game. It starts with an 18-yard run by Kamara on first and 10 from the 20, which, in my opinion, will never happen once Olivier Vernon gets back into this lineup because this is a terrible play, in my opinion, from Connor Barwin. He gets washed out by, by a fullback on this play. Um, and he does, not, he does not set the edge, and it turns into an 18-yard run. Oh, well, next play, it's, it's fine. We, that's going to happen, in my opinion, with Barwin at that, in that spot. Uh, I, I, you know, we, we've talked Barwin before. I'm not as impressed as you are with him. Uh, he does have that spin move, but... Other than that, I'm not a huge fan. But the next play, very next play, again, right after that play, they're at the Giants 38. It's a 15-yard back shoulder to to Michael Thomas. This play's never going to get stopped. I don't care who's on him. The coverage is fine. This is just perfect timing, perfect ball placement. It's unstoppable. These two have been doing it for enough time now where this is unstoppable. But now it's first and 10. Um, you know, So now they get 15 yards after that. It's first and 10 on the Giants' side of the field. And Landon Collins has a huge run stop where he just comes out and – basically shoots out of a cannon to stop a play for two yards where 
it looks like he's almost the last line of defense when you watch it from the all 22 angle. And then on the next play, um, you know, Ray Ray gets lost in coverage against Ben Watson, a bit of a natural pick, could have forced him third and eight, but it's okay because now they're down in the red zone and it's first and 10. And this is when Landon Collins takes over first and 10. He's in coverage against Watson, uh, Ben Watson, the tight end, and he forces incompletion instead of a touchdown. On second and 10, he shoots out of the cannon, makes a tackle that stops, that saves not only a first down, but uh, probably more. And then it's third and six. So he stops for a four-yard gain. It's third and six, and Collins again makes a pass breakup where he shoots down on Alvin Kamara, running a bit of an arrow route over the middle, and makes an unbelievable play on the football. But, so fourth and six, the Saints are going to kick a field goal 15-7. It's still a game. Doesn't give them that much momentum, right? No, wrong, because on the opposite side of the field, B.W. Webb, as a face mask on the third and six. It's just one of several penalties the Giants had on third down on defense after they stopped, and I'll get to that more. I mean, I hated the third and nine where the Saints, where the, the referee picks up the flag on third and nine and a huge moment against the Saints. But my, well, I'll get to that a little later. I don't want to go off on a tangent again. But <laughs> my point is this drive was so dominant by Landon Collins. He makes four unbelievable individual plays. He single-handedly stops that Keep the momentum for the Giants. 15-7 it should be, but obviously the face mask. Um, but, you know, this drive to me just encapsulated a lot of what I saw throughout the game. He was all over the tape. He made multiple, not only first down saving tackles from the run game, but maybe touchdown saving tackles when you look at it. Um, what did, you know, is there anything else you want to add on Collins or give me your overall evaluation of what you saw from him? Yeah, I think it'd have to be right in line there. I think you're going to be hard pressed to find a better example of one player making such an uh, you know impact in the red zone. You know, on that Camara angle route, he doesn't run great angle routes, but still Collins is reading the jump. He's all over it. You know, you're seeing great play speed in the cool. The only thing I will add is that you saw the Giants do something interesting. They brought him down into the box in, in their nickel personnel, but it's not so simple just in bringing down in the box. What they were able to do was they actually threw Ogletree in a lot of cases on the outside and they, they, they replaced basically um, Collins. They put Collins on the weak side of the defense in effectively the money backer position. And that was really interesting. That was a wrinkle that basically helped take away Camara on front side, on on weak side runs by having uh, by having Collins' athleticism that close to the to the to the line without really suffering, without really giving up much in the rest of what they were doing because Collins had the ability to basically get to flats when they were playing zone zone defense. There, really nice trickle there. You're going to see if they're going to follow up that with that this week because in McCaffrey, you're going to get a similar type of running back in that in that regard in the way they use him. Yeah, and that's really interesting because best game of the season for sure for him, and they're using him in different ways. So I think there's reason to be optimistic about that moving forward. Um, but I also want to transition and talk a little bit about, you know, some of the miscues. I almost got into it right there. But, I mean, this is a game where this Giants defense to me is super, super close. This game showed it to me, to being a really, really good defense in this league. They were just back-breaking plays that happened to them. I mean, the 39 offensive pass interference call that was picked up, where the Saints throw it into the flat to Kamara. And I'm trying to actually get up, Nick, if you can do me a favor real quick and just get up exactly where the Giants were on this. Like, what was the situation there? I believe it was the eighth defensive drive, or the eighth drive by the Saints, I'm trying to get the quarter that it was in, because this was still a game at this time. Um, sorry, this yeah. is radio, guys, but I'll down real quick. <laughs> and Hill had, Hill had the penalty, right? This is the penalty that they picked up. This is the oh, oh. interference on the Saints. And I'll get to why I was so angry about it in a second. But they picked it up. Um, and then, you know, they have another chance at 
they, they get the first down there instead of third and 19. But we'll, we'll get to where this is as we find it. But the point is it's third and nine. This is still a game right now. Um, the Saints throw out into the flat to Kamara, and literally the receiver is engaged with the defender before the pass is caught. Now, I don't have a problem if you don't want to call it, if you want to. And I don't even have a problem if you're going to go as far as throwing the flag on this play and then picking it up. But earlier in the game, this exact same thing happened with Odell Beckham Jr. on a screen pass where Russell Shepard was caught engaging with the defender early. And they throw and keep the flag. It kills the Giants' drive. They have to punt three plays later. But they throw and keep the flag. There has to be some consistency here. And there was no consistency. I'm not blaming this game on the refs at all. I've made that pretty clear on Twitter. And I never, pretty much will never blame any game on the refs as bad as it gets. But this these, this officiating crew is the worst I've seen for a full game this season of any team, not only Giants games. I think they're over the hill. Morelli's over the hill. And I think there was no consistency in this game. And that, to me, was a prime example. The the horse collar was another one uh, where Shepard, Sterling Shepard got tackled in a very similar fashion to the one that George Jenkins uh, made on Alvin Kamara that was called for. But, you know, this is a key play. If you, pick, if you don't pick up this flag on third and nine and you hold this call, it's third and 19. And we had the Saints were in one third and 19 type situation earlier in the game. And all they could do was check down. It's a really tough situation. And the Giants get the ball back. I believe it was 1910 at this point when this when this happened. Um, and the Giants will get the ball back. But, you know, this is just an example of a miscue. And there were multiple other ones. You know, there was also the Dalvin Tomlinson unnoticed trip when the Saints got the ball back up eight after the Giants scored in two-point conversion. This should be called for a trip. It's an obvious trip. You should have a back judge watching the line. That's his job. This is a terrible play. Instead, it breeze rolls out, connects for 24 yards. The, the game is essentially over after that. There was the third and seven screen to Thomas, to Michael Thomas at a key at a key moment. And, and obviously the third and six stop we went over with uh, Landon Collins that BW Webb got flagged for. So there were a lot of chances for this defense. And I think they showed a lot of good signs. Um, but to me, the most impressive probably to me was just the red zone defense from the Giants. What did you see there, Nick? Yeah, I saw what was interesting. Um, and by the way, just to get back to you real quick on the, the play you're talking about, Camaros, this was the third and nine, 1241 mark, uh, fourth quarter for our, for our note taking as we're going through this. Uh, what was the, the score is 1910. Yeah, no, right. it's exactly as you described. It's 1241. If, if, if the Giants get the football back, you know. Yeah, yeah no, it's a different game. No, 100%. And that was, there was a bubble screen to the left. And yeah, it was, an, it was, a, it was a tough call. Um, but yeah, so to the, to the red zone side, um, what I saw was, a lot of aggression in different ways in coverage. And this is going to touch on one of the things where I kind of, one of the aspects that I took this week was defending Curtis Riley, which I received a ton of vitriol towards. Um, but what they, what, what, uh, what Betcher was doing early in the game is in the far red zone in like the 15 yard line range, he was actually playing versions of cover three, which is a little aggressive slash dumb because when you're in the red zone and you play cover three, you open up those vertical seams to easy slants where it's almost impossible to defend for that deep safety to defend. And then what he was doing on the next play, which was, I thought was really interesting. He would, the next play he would go to man, but he would go to man where the apex defenders defending the slot receivers actually had outside leverage, almost baiting the the other teams, almost baiting Drew Brees to throw the slant. And for or sorry, I'm just a slant, just a deep post for a touchdown from that far red zone area. So for me, when I look at that, I go, this is a coordinator who's very confident in his, in his secondary 
to basically jump these routes because I think he was trying to bait him a little bit. The bait didn't come. Again, there's a point that does this like the game in the game that where no one really talks about it. But these, these things that you pick up on tape, it's like, why is he doing this? Like the hole is basically right there. Um, and then you just saw just overall great effort, like we said, from Collins. But as well, you had great examples from B.J. Hill, great examples from Ogletree, guys getting after it. And just overall, not a reliance necessarily on pressure. But in the coverage side, mixing and matching, where <clears throat> I really think Breeze, especially for the first three to three times, was was definitely off balance. Yeah, I think this was James Betcher's best game so far. I saw multiple plays on the All-22 where Betcher legitimately confused Drew Breeze. There was an early red zone play where Breeze had a wide-open Ken Meredith running underneath, and he didn't see it, and the Giants got the sack on the play. I believe it was B.J. Hill who got the sack on this play. Um, and he just confused the hell out of Breeze on that one. There was other plays where he would put, you know, all the guys on the line, both his two inside backers and the edge guys, and he would drop. I saw a couple of plays where he would drop Lorenzo Carter on the edge and, and Cream Martin and then put, double, double blitz the A-gap with both inside linebackers. And this would be four-man blitz, but it would it would confuse. But on one of them, it completely confused the Saints' offensive line where the center just didn't account for, I believe, the, the linebacker on the inside was Ogletree on that one um, and just didn't account for him, and he got the pressure there. So I thought this was overall – by far and away the best game from Betcher. And I'm really seeing a lot of signs from this defense that they could be something really good down the line this year. And really, even if the Giants, you know, aren't competing as well on offense, that this defense can keep them in games. Um, and a lot of that is James Betcher. And, you know, they haven't played a single game yet with Olivier Vernon, who I've said on multiple occasions, I'll say again, he's the best defensive player on this defense um, when he's healthy. So we'll see what happens there. Um, we'll get to the injuries in a little bit. But I'm going to give you your chance now if you want to go any further on your defense, Curtis Riley. <laughs> if you could just get through this, uh, you know, if you give what what are you saying here when you say that he's basically a capable starter and what? So I on Twitter I did on Twitter and multiple other venues on Reddit and on uh, and a couple of the message boards I broke down um, his two basically big issue plays um, uh, where he gave up where he helped give up the touchdown to Camara and then the and then Camara's first touchdown. Um, and then on basically multiple other examples where you see him making tackles and making plays and pretty good plays at that. Um, just to kind of summarize it, I think where people are kind of, there's a little bit of a disconnect in expectation. You know, um, uh, Kurt, you know, Riley's a third year veteran, uh, undrafted uh, free agent. Um, you know, he's a guy, he's, he's 190 pounds, a little undersized, a touch undersized for the, for the free safety position. Um, but what you see is against top tier talent, uh, like Alvin Kamara in space, like on the big touchdown, where the entire defense basically the front gets destroyed by a very good power call into a basically a stunt where he has to make a stop uh, in the open field. And it's very difficult to do. And as a, when I say that I think he can be a capable starter, it means that does he make this play all the time? No, he's not a pro bowler. He's not a pro bowler. It's going to match pro bowl talent for Kamara in the open field. Kamara has a very good stiff arm. And that's what you see here with this play. So these, this is the nature of the beast. Um, secondary players in tackling and in coverage, they either have a great play or they're kind of doing their job or they give up a big play for a touchdown. You know, uh, a lot of guys like to kind of look at, um, you know, the, the play or, uh, from, from the Dallas game where against Tavon Austin, you know, he doesn't take a great angle um, when, on, on Austin's touchdown early in the game. Understood, he took an angle for 4-5 speed. Tavon Austin has 4.35 speed. You know, that that difference is something that he has to adjust to. It's definitely a, 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 a basically a concern. But, you know, the big issue on that play was Janoris Jenkins getting smoked by the jab step on when he tries to collision a very good wide receiver. 
And I don't know why he's trying to collision that guy for, for that matter. But anyway, you know, like, you know, that's the problem with that play and secondary guys are going to get beat. And what I'm overall seeing is a lot more good things when you work through um, a player that's kind of developmental that you're trying to make into better, into a better player. And the first guy that came to my mind when I was re-explaining it this morning was Patrick Robinson in Philadelphia, who was a journeyman who came to Philadelphia and basically was a stop gap, slap, stop gap, slap, uh, slap corner by the end of last year. He was a guy who's gotten burned more times in his career than anyone I've ever seen. But what you see is the coaches allowing him to fail at times, allowing all their players to fail and then learn from it. And can they get better? And specifically with his failures, I think they're, they're attributable to a couple key things for him on his traits. But overall, you're seeing him making, and I've highlighted these plays where he's making, he tackles Kamara along the sideline against the, actually on the play that, um, on the bubble screen that you brought up where that with the, with the offensive penalty offensive pass interference wasn't called. That was Riley making that stop. If Riley doesn't make that stop, that's a touchdown right there. You know, there's two offensive linemen going downfield and he nice through both and makes the stop along the sideline, you know, against um, a few examples specifically where, uh, you know, he's tackling for the deep safety, the, the deep safety position. They're not crazy plays. They're kind of, run of the plays that you can make. You, you see him very, be very capable in coverage, um, uh, a guy who does not blow his assignments. And that specifically was what, but really Andrew Adams had his issue in the preseason with. And that's why I think the coaches grade him out accordingly there. Uh, so I projected him to be a capable starter by the end of the year. And I do think this is the key. I do think the giants are going to try to upgrade their safeties, whether you're talking about in the draft or in, or in free agency, just like the rest of many other parts of their team. But nevertheless, I do think this guy is going to be there for the longer term because he do has the, he has the overall traits of physicality, the ability with good football intelligence, very good play speed for, for a player of his experience. Uh, to be able to to succeed as at least a rotational guy in the secondary. Yeah, and I think I'll I'll give my quick defense of the guy who I think has gotten kind of a, a narrative that got you know taken out of control here and is just incorrect. And that's Alec Ogletree. Some people think you know based on maybe pro football focus grades or whatnot, whatever you're hearing, he's not playing well. He's playing awesome for the Giants. I what I do for these games is I pretty pretty much break it down play by play on a Google Doc as I'm watching through all 22, and I take notes for every single play. And there's nobody who is more in these notes in a positive way from this game than Alec Ogletree. He made incredible stops on, you know, run plays where he was the only guy where he read, you know, he read screens. I, I, there was a second defensive drive of the game where the Giants stopped the, the Saints, obviously, then they made the fake punt, where four different plays he shows up in my notes is making an unbelievable individual play. Um, and that just goes on throughout the rest of the, the rest of the game. So Ogletree is a guy who may not show up in you know any any reviews of the game on profile on any kind of site or grading service or whatever you're looking at. But he's a guy that you should keep an eye on. He's a guy who the Giants made a really good move, in my opinion, to trade for and pay. I don't think that I don't care what what anyone says. I think it's worth to have speed like him and at the linebacker corps making a massive difference for this defense. Too many times where the Giants burn over the past two seasons because they have no speed at the linebacker level, both in the passing game underneath and in the sideline to sideline, uh, you know, stretch run play game. So this is a player who they need. Is he the best at what he does? Is he the best of these speedy linebackers in the middle? No. There's guys who are better. They're going to face one this week and Luke Keekley, but he gives them something they have not had. Um, and to me, that's worth the money. But let's transition a little. We spent a lot of time reviewing that game. Let's go into the injury rundown real quick for this game. Um, and so the Giants are definitely the more injured team heading into this game, unfortunately. But there is some good news. Both Eli Apple and Olivier Vernon practiced on Wednesday. A limited participation, but at the same time, 
in the building, there's optimism. Both will play this week. Barwin did not practice. It's more of a maintenance thing. Personally, I, I'm starting to want to get him off the field. I didn't like what I saw in that Saints game, but uh, that's another story for another day. Evan Ingram did not practice, but he did do some light jogging, which I'm definitely happy to see because you know it's a two to four week estimated recovery. I've always said I think they might wait until the bye week, but to me, this offense is not the same without Ingram. Its ability to stretch the team, he would have been perfect against these cover two looks, I think. Um, and then aside from that, Damon Harrison didn't practice. That's more maintenance. Cody Latimer, limited practice. I'm a little worried that knee injury. We don't know much about it. Um, Giants haven't given any information away about it. Um, so hopefully he can play this week. I just This offense is not the same with Russell Shepard out there. And it sounds crazy because Latimer hasn't made too many amazing plays. But, you know, he has made plays with the opportunities he's been given. Um, and then Sterling Shepard didn't practice, but nothing to worry about there. He had to have a cyst removed from his back. And then the Panthers, unfortunately for the Giants, they catch him when they're coming off a of bye week. And they're extremely healthy compared to where they were. Trey Turner has missed every game since week one. They're starting guard, probably their best lineman left. Well, actually, no, because Taylor Moten's playing awesome. But, you know, Trey Turner missed every game with a concussion except week one, and he's back this week. Curtis Samuel is going to return this week. Um, Greg Olson's still out, but that was known. Vernon Butler is going to play this week. So they have that, that's it. I mean, the only people who didn't practice for them are Pepper, Julius Peppers, who is just getting a day of rest yesterday because the Panthers returned to practice on Monday, um, and Greg Olson. So it's going to be a full full show for them. But the Giants look like they're going to be getting back Eli Apple and Olivier Vernon, which will be huge if that's the case. Um, let's transition a bit into the Panthers preview of this game. Um what do you think, Nick? Is this kind of a defense the Giants are going to struggle with, or can the Giants kind of finally unlock the offense against this defense? And what are the, what do you think the Panthers will show the Giants on defense? I think, I think yeah, with, with, with the Carolina, Carolina, a lot of, uh, a lot of single high, little cover three single high, um, or cover three zones from single high. They do run some two high, but it's mostly that. I think that immediately will be a benefit um, for the Giants. Just a little more of a you know, little, little simple. Um, uh, simpler coverages out there. I think one thing that is interesting is uh, they obviously have a, um, a new defensive coordinator with their previous going to the previous guy going to uh, uh, Wilkes going to Arizona. They run the very similar. It's very, there was very pretty seamless in the strategy they're going to run. They blitz a little less. Um, their, their blitzes on third down are not as exotic as they were in pre in well, last year. I think that helps the giants a little bit. I think that, um, you know, I've got a pretty full rundown from a personnel perspective because, again, the the strategy side is stuff that I, I almost it's going to sound weird. I don't think the Giants. I don't think it matters who lines up against them. And I'm not trying to say that like I'm just this permeable on the offense. I'm just saying that I think they have to execute. That's the bottom line. So there is there is a, there is a, a defense here they can execute against. There's a couple things that you have to watch out for. Number one, this uh, the Carolina Panthers love to give soft cushions from their defensive backs it kind of sucks you into thinking that you can run quick game all day against them. But if you watch the games, uh, Bradbury, as well as, uh, as well as their new corner, a rookie corner, uh, Jackson, they're basically like baiting corners into and getting better at reading and coming downhill with their quick twitch and their, their ability to click and close um, just and, and get, and basically to break passes up or intercept balls. And so it's something you have to watch out for, um, you know, but I think the intermediate level here is something they can absolutely attack. I think that on the running game, it's something that, you know, if they get to the edge, that's something that they can attack. I think that they're, they're you're facing the best linebacker group in the in the league, arguably, when Thomas Davis is in, which he is not going to be this week. Um, but uh, Keekley is obviously probably the best Mike linebacker there is. Um, 
you know, him and Thompson are very good. I think that, that, that the Giants can, can move the ball against them, though, for sure. I think the bigger issues, the biggest worry would be on the interior part of the defense um, with, with both uh, defensive tackles Poe and Short. I do think, though, again, I think the Giants, though, when they run inside zone, you look at a player like, like Quan Short, he, he often loses gap discipline. That feeds right into one of Barkley's best runs, and that's the, the inside zone to early cutback. That's like his bread and butter, whether it's from a split zone look or from just regular inside zone. Like it's 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 very similar to actually what Kamara's very good at too. And I just think that that they're that they're gonna have chances here for sure. Um I think it's gonna be a tough game. Um and I think it's a game that that you know it's going on the road is gonna be tough. Uh but it's something where and obviously there's gonna be emotions too with with both a lot of ex Carolina guys going out against <laughs> you know, being on the Giants now. Um so it's gonna be a good game there, but I think I think that there are, are holes to be had here. Yeah, and I think when you look at this Panthers defense, you see, you know, they're struggling to get pressure on the quarterback in some senses. Of the, I mean, they're they're at they play they play West Horton on on almost the, on the vast majority of their snaps, and he has really not gotten the job done. He has two credited sacks, but he only has seven total pressures um, through the first three games, so it's not great. It's okay, you know, he's been all right there, but. He hasn't been excellent in that in that regard by any means, and he's playing a lot of snaps. And you look at how you attack them; you also can attack them, you know, via the air. They have um, safety, or I'm sorry, Colin Jones, who you know I don't know too much about, but he's been pretty damn bad in coverage, and he's played a lot of snaps for them in coverage. He's ready. He's given up four catches on all four of his targets for 61 yards receiving and two touchdowns. So that's an area I think the Giants should look to attack Colin Jones in one-on-one matchups and when he's on the field and that's again for probably about he's been on the field for a little under half of the snap so he's more of a nickel guy for them but Giants getting 11 personnel like they've been doing a lot without Evan Ingram and without you know because that that changes the way the Giants want to play they don't want to play Scott Simons in too many snaps and I get it but again no I do think they should mix it up with a little more penny as well but again that's a guy you're going to look to attack and then on the other side of the ball um, I just want to get into kind of you know where are the weaknesses of this of of this Panthers uh, offense in regards to how the Giants are going to want to play them um, on the defensive side of the ball. And to me, I think that, you know, it's going to be interesting because the Giants, because the Panthers are running a little bit more zone read even than last year. Um, And that's according to Pat Shermer, who said it yesterday during a conference call with the Panthers reporters, Um, even without Shermer, I'm sorry, Shula there, they're running more zone read, but I thought the Giants showed improvement against the zone read versus the Saints. Do you think that that'll carry over into this week? Yeah, I think what you're going to see, just to give the background, um, you know, uh, Mike Shula basically kind of fused spread and basically hey, uh, down the field Eric Coriel system in Carolina before he was fired. Uh, I guess he was there for three or four years. So obviously now he's in New York. Norv Turner takes over in in Carolina. People have no idea what Norv Turner is going to do. Some actually think that he's going to go away from the whole option side of the house. Turns out he actually turns it on his head and, and throws out basically everything within the option package, not just zone read. They run a uh, read option, which is basically the inverted veer. They run regular veer. They run speed options. There's a, uh, they run QB power. They run, I think they actually saw bash too in there as well. You know, you're, you're going to see a wider range of run of run concepts with, um, with Cam Newton at the helm. What's the issue with that? The issue is that you're putting your quarterback at risk. The, the buff side for, for Newton is he's 250 pounds, right? So that's that's the game that you're going to be playing. I do like the Giants matchup there because, as Dan says, there is there is improvement to the zone read, and no one really wants to admit it. They just want to yell when they see a bigger play. <laughs> but there is definite improvement to the zone read. 
And as well, what I like about the Newton matchup versus the defensive ends the Giants play, especially when Kerry Wynn is out there, is if you have Wynn, Vernon, and Kareem Martin, you have guys that are sizable but also quick. So you're not going to have – I don't think Newton is going to be able to, to really juke – uh, as many of those of those players in space and really go for the bigger runs. Where he'll get the bigger runs is off of pure scheme. Um, I don't think you're going to have basically blown assignments there. The Giants also were, um, as, as I kind of highlight on Twitter, they're uh, answering to the zone read looks with pressure, with blitzing from money back position, specifically Landon Collins. He did that a few times last game. So you're going to see that aspect as well. Again, just to outline it, though, for fans, zone read is when the running back is – if he takes the handoff, if it's a give, he's going in one direction, and the quarterback is going in the other if it's a keep. So it's an opposite play. What the what the Panthers will do, and this is what makes it really hard to defend, is when they run the veer looks, the quarterback and the running back, it's a traditional option play, are going in the same direction. So what does that tell you? Both ends have to worry in this game, and both ends have to be ready on the play. It's not just the backside end. So from defending from a defensive perspective, it becomes more complicated. You have to be more detailed. You have to be more assignment-worthy, and you can't just blitz Collins from one side on the backside. You have to be worried about that front side as well. Yeah, and that just goes kind of into what I was saying earlier about I think Olivier Vernon could be a really, really big boost in this game because, again, I haven't liked what I saw from Connor Barwin so far as far as the run game goes. And Olivier Vernon, as much as he is a pass rusher, he's also a really, really, really good run defender at his position. Um, you know, I saw some of the players talking about his return yesterday, his potential return. They were talking about his ability to really move and change directions for a guy his size and his strength, and that's how and, that, and how it helps him so much in the run game. So I think, again, going against a, a, a young offensive tackle, second-year player, Taylor Moden, who's turning out so far, he's been awesome so far, according to Pro Football Focus at least, could be another great Dave Gettleman find on the offensive line, which would bode well for the future as the Giants continue to draft offensive linemen. Will Hernandez already looking really, really good, in my opinion, through the first four weeks, second-round draft pick. And I know, you know, Patrick Omame, people aren't as excited about, and he has struggled, but, you know, that's a free agent signing. It's not going to be easy to find guys in free agency and on the offensive line. I've said that before. I'll say it again as much as I can because it just people – it's a supply and demand issue. There's very few great linemen in the NFL. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. It's a matchup that I'm looking into. But – on that note, we're going to transition a little bit some of the fan questions we've gotten from this week. So I'll start with a question from Pop Morehouse, and he asks, injuries, uh, we went over that. Who's active against the Panthers? We won't know until later in the week. But he's, he's saying, what are our thoughts on not running the football more? Uh, I think we went over that earlier. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, what else can I add to that besides I let the limited runs, I liked what I saw. And I go back. I, I I'm a little bit different from Dan that I do think that that the, that the getting into the running to both running backs in space is the key. Yeah, and I think that you know the Giants found more success in the run game than they had previously, just on a per play basis. I I believe I saw uh, a guy who getting his name on Twitter, a really good follow now, who breaks down running backs, and he said Barkley the Giants had a 60 percent success rate on the run plays with Barkley, and basically you look at it as getting enough yards on third and short, I believe, for a first down, a first down at least four yards. I forgot, I have to go back into the criteria for what makes a successful run, but it was their highest rate of the year. And you saw that, you know, there were a lot more five-yard gains. There were a lot when they did run the football on their 10 times with Barkley. And then there was the big 28-yarder. So, so yeah, so I don't, so I think that maybe, you know, the reason they didn't run the football as much was what we've got into earlier um, as far as that goes. Hopefully that answered your question a little bit. Um, 
Kyle back off and asks, what can the Giants do going forward to counter the soft zones they will see? Uh, I think it's 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 having it's having the quarterback be able to have the recognition to transfer to play speed to be able to deliver um, anticipatory routes on schedule. Uh, you know, at one point we didn't go over that that's been crushed to death on Twitter is the drive concept on third and on third and eleven with a early third and eleven on the game, and you know it's a long third and long, but Manning has cover two and he's got a drive concept that's designed to beat cover two specific high low read. And he doesn't give the high low read a chance. And so, you know, that type of thing, it's kind of like no excuses. It's, it's a little bit more of aggression and a willingness to, to throw with anticipation. Cause again, the guy's not open when he first looks at him because it's a zone defender, but that zone defender isn't a man and his hips are pointed the wrong way. You know, Dub Maddox 101. <laughs> that's, that's green means go. That's kill the bunny. That's send it, whatever phrase you want to use. Uh, so I think that's, that's how you're going to have to do that. Cause it, the, the, the name soft zone is, is what it implies. Right. There's going to, there's there's no perfect defense out there. And so every defense has weaknesses that they just have to exploit and they know how to do it. There's no mystery to this. Yeah. I mean, so it's on Eli and I agree with that. Eli Man needs to try to make those throws through those through, in those in those tight spots. Um, John Rodriguez asked, will Odell Beckham Jr. be a decoy in the red zone? Um, you know, I'll tackle this one first and throw it to you. I, unfortunately, I think this, this type of process might continue because I do believe based on what I've heard from both Eli Manning and Pat Shermer over and over and based on what I've seen in the red zone plays that they're not going to get him the football when the coverage doesn't dictate it this is just kind of an issue I have overall sometimes with Eli uh, and Shermer from what I've heard from them so far is that they don't want to force these issues sometimes sometimes you have to force the issue with Odo Beckham Jr. in the red zone there haven't been you know I saw a play on Sunday Night Football uh, the Steelers versus Ravens, where they literally, the Ravens defense, put two cornerbacks lined up right next to each other, Antonio Brown. There haven't been any plays like that for Beckham. And I've gone over this on previous podcasts, but there have been some plays where in the red zone, there's one-on-ones. It has, there's been safeties over the top most of the time on Beckham. It's, it's, there's been only like two or three occasions for the one-on-ones, but they ran the football in those one-on-ones. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If he ever gets a one-on-one in the red zone, this play needs to be checked immediately to throw him. And even when he has the safety over the top, the Giants need to give him a chance because he's proven he can do it. And the red zone offense hasn't been that, that successful going away from him. They had the touchdown, which was Sterling Shepard twice uh, in the red zone when the defense dictated the coverage in Beckham's direction. But, you know, on all the other occasions, they failed plays in the red zone. So I'm worried that he will continue to be a decoy in the red zone personally. Um, do you see any different, you know, based on what I'm hearing? What do you think? Nick? I think that when you use the term decoy, um, you know, again, I broke down how how in the drop back passing mode, how, how, um, how Shermer's offense are, are designed. There's an answer on both sides. So if, if, if Manning's turning away from the side that Beckham's on, it's, it's saying that his read is turning in that direction. And yeah, they are looking for high percentage throws. Here's the deal when you talk about Antonio Brown and you talk about, um, about, about Roethlisberger is you have a guy who basically you have a guy who can win in isolation and a quarterback that can put the ball exactly where it needs to be put in at a very high consistent level basically top three in the league top five maybe over the last 10 years right that's not many you know i I actually doubt for those that want to read like 2500 words on quarterback footwork i did a piece for cover one and how i watched every fade that manning threw in the red zone uh over multiple years his throws to the left side he's got a problem he's not he doesn't locate them consistently his throws to the right side are a little better and got better under mcadoo because he mcadoo made him focus on his footwork i think that's a big reason why you don't see the fades as much Latimer being out of the lineup 
hurts because he's a guy who can win in isolation. I'm not saying that Odell Beckham can't win in isolation, but that's not that hasn't been the hallmark of his career. It's not what he banks on. He banks on being able to win multiple ways, especially with yards after the catch. I'm not saying he can't make these plays, but for whatever reason, Manning doesn't want to put that. It's a a placement thing, too. I think it's really tough. So is he going to be a decoy? I think that there was one design play where, you know, I I think Baldy broke it down. Baldy or Schwartz broke it down where, you know, the Saints made a great play. It was a great check on a a play, actually, that, that, Dan, actually, you kind of, that you alluded to it multiple weeks ago with orbit motion. The Giants used jet motion this time. They got Beckham Garner across the formation. It's a quick flat route for him. It's from jet motion. It should be an easy touchdown. The Saints were looking for it. Had an awesome check to man for the where the other side of the coverage bumped over one and took him in man, and he was covered. And it's one of those plays where it's like, yeah, if you throw that ball, it could be a pick six. And so in the red zone, to conclude, everything gets sped up and the windows are very, very, very tight. You see, you see great quarterback struggle. Kirk Cousins. Not as not as go to, you know. I think in Manning, yeah, I think they need to help him a little bit, but I think they need to also run the ball more efficiently and do all these things better. I think it's a combination of all things. Yep. And then you then we got Subwiffer who asked, "What are the chances of this team going two and two or three and one in their next four games? And if the Giants show up, can they at least match up with Carolina?" So I think we've kind of gone over that we do believe that the Giants can match up with this Carolina. Panthers football team. That's not to say this Panthers football team isn't a good team, especially coming off a of bye week. Um, and then, I mean, if you want to add anything there, you can. But, but, and then as far as the next four games go, with the Panthers at Panthers and home against the Eagles at Falcons and then at home against the Redskins, I think two and two is in play. I really do. Um, I haven't been totally impressed by this Philadelphia Eagles team. I can't. I haven't done enough enough on them to know what's the issue right now with that team. I think they're having some offensive line issues, from what I've read. Uh, I know their secondary is not that good, really, especially after the injury to Rodney McLeod. Um, so I don't think this Eagles team has been that impressive at all. I think pretty much this Giants team to me is a very Jekyll and Hyde team that can, that can show up any day or not show up any day. Um, and and yeah, obviously they need to fix some things on offense because it's hard to say the offense has been that Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> they had one good game against the Texans. That was it. It wasn't even amazing. Um, but, you know, to me, I think all these games are winnable. The Falcons, it's in Atlanta. It's Monday night. But this Falcons defense is just unbelievably beat up by injuries. It's really unfortunate. Grady Jarrett's now out from their best interior defensive player. Um, and they have so many injuries in the secondary. And the Redskins are a team the Giants have historically over the past few years matched up pretty decently well with. So I think it's possible 2-2 two and two out of these next three games. 3-1, and one, we can't say just yet based on what we've seen from the Giants. What do you think there, Nick? I think, you know, all this goes, I take it super one week at a time. But, I, again, I go back to I think these guys can win with the talent that they have. Can they win 10 games? That seems like kind of a high number. You know, <laughs> I think they can absolutely go 2-2. Two and two. I think it's one of those things where, you know, if they if they're if they if they can elevate what they had off of the Houston game, they can beat a lot of teams for sure. Sure. And then Arlen Hugo asked, what are what were the qualitative differences between the last scoring drive compared to the majority of the game? How much did the defensive approach change versus the Giants actually being or versus or did the Giants were the Giants actually being aggressive for the first time since the opening series? Really, sadly, no difference. Uh, that was a great, the, the, yeah, th- th- this was a great question, by the way, because you would expect that there'd be some level of change. But, you know, like, I'm not trying to like, crush this guy, but like the first, this is a drive that was successful. The first play, Manning misses a post against cover three. It's like the first thing in the read. So like there was just same soft zone, same miscoverages. I think the overall his accuracy was, was higher because they were running more of a hurry up at that kind of garbage time, uh, you know, mentality. 
uh, from, you know, from the offense that they're just trying to get back in the game. Uh, but yeah, no, very little difference seeing same, I guess for the first time in the game, I see cover two man being played here, but everything else is cover three buzz, uh, cover two, uh, you know, Tampa two um, and that type of thing. So, you know, I really no change. The key thing, even, you know, the, the scissors route that Manning hit for the bigger play to Sterling Shepard, the 19-yarder that really set up the touchdown from the red zone. It's great. It was a good throw. And it was a good throw against against basically cover two man. The first time that they had saw that, and and, and you just bend them, and Shepard beats him, and Manning puts it a good throw. But overall, not that much difference in something where, you know, the, the plays were, were, were out there for sure. Yeah, and when I hear that, Nick, I honestly think back to, you know, maybe more blame should be on the head coach to me. The players play the game, but the coaches, the best coaches are the ones who stand out. And maybe if Shermer had noticed earlier in the game that you can attack, that the best way to get this Giants offense out of the funk was by going into this hurry-up mode and by giving putting Eli in this situation, the, the outcome of the game might have been different. I really do believe that because just based on what you said and what I saw as well, there wasn't much change from what the Saints were doing defensively, and yet there was a lot of change from what the Giants were doing from an efficiency standpoint and actually moving the offense. Uh, so that's something they'll have to look at moving forward. I do think that this is a team that should use more hurry up moving forward. And then finally, Dimitri asked, you know, why are the Giants getting so gadgety with Odell Beckham down in the red zone? I think you kind of already went over that. Nick. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we don't need to get back into that. And Dimitri kind of was answering the first question, just kind of based on what, you know, what he's successful at in the past and what they think they can do to get him some chances some touches in there that aren't double covered. So on that note, Nick, we've got, we've already, We've gone way too far, I think, on this interview. We both had a lot that we wanted to get to. Um, but we'll wrap it up with some predictions uh, for the game. Last week did not go as well as our predictions <laughs> before uh, for the Texans. Where, where are you going to go with here, Nick? Um, I think that the Giants are going to have a spirited effort, but I think that it may, be, it may fall just short. Um, I do like – I think overall they're going to be able to put up more points. I think they're going to win. Like, I think they're going to lose a very, very tight game, 28-27, that type of thing. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty close there. Uh, I think the Giants are going to also lose a very close game. Uh, I think that right now they're just not a football team that's playing with enough confidence on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, they've managed to maintain confidence, and they're playing great football. But it's going to be tough because if their offense doesn't get things going and they're not confident they can move the ball, it's going to be another game where at the end of the game, in the late third and early fourth, the Giants' defense wears down. They're going to face a lot of the zone read with Cam. They're going to face a lot of just general running at the football. Um, so I do think the Giants will lose this one 23-20, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I do think they'll give a good effort, like Nick said, but I'm just, I need to see more from this offense until I believe, you know, I need to see more creation, more moving the football, more efficiency from the offense until I can buy back in. So on that note, we're going to throw it back. We're going to, fit, we're going to finish this off, as I said, a little more housekeeping just to close it out. If you want to follow us, you can find all my work on Giants and 24-7 Sports. The easiest way that I would say to do it is to download the CBS Sports app on your phone. On the CBS Sports app, uh, you know, r- click on that. The Giants are the team you want to follow, and then you'll start getting all my articles there. You can go into the app, click your click on your own version of the app, and you'll see Giants articles pop up. And you also get news alerts when any, you know, injury news or anything like that breaks. Um, so on that note, you can find me there or obviously on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL, D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL. Nick, where can we find all your work? Um, on Twitter, I'm at TMAC21. I know not everyone out there loves the Twitter sphere. So with Reddit opening up their um, formatting for everything, I've actually started to put a lot of my Twitter threads on Reddit. 
So I'm a red, um, my Reddit name is TMAC21 as well. I'm also at Big Blue Interactive, Big Blue Wrecking Crew, Big Blue Huddle. And I think I'm sure I'm missing a few of the other good message boards as well with the same type of thing, putting the full Twitter threads in a little bit more of a readable format as well. My, my work every week is giant is a giant tidbits calm at cover one.net and trying when I can to get something on uh, inside the pylon.com later today, I will have more of a scouting breakdown uh, with some video on, uh, the Carolina Panthers cornerback Jackson and a little bit of background there. So guys can check that out with more to more videos coming to YouTube. Sounds good. Um, and on that note, we're going to sign it off. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Thanks again for listening. Please hit that subscribe button if you guys haven't already. And we'll throw it back to some of the early episodes with the go giants to end the show. So go giants. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.